He is risen. He is risen and Dave thought you only had one shot at that. Ha! I've been practicing that all week long. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Mark chapters 15 and 16. Mark 15 and 16. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you that we can celebrate the empty tomb. We thank you that you saw us in our need and that you provided the means of forgiveness, that your willing son took on human flesh while never giving up his deity, came and lived a perfect life and laid down his life on the cross took sin upon himself, the one who was sinless became sin for us, that through faith in him we might become righteous before you, his blood covering us, his blood atoning for our sin. And Father, as we talk this morning about the gospel in Mark 15 and 16, take the familiar text and Give us new insights or remind us of things in the back of our mind. Fill us with worship. Fill us with joy. Fill us with thanksgiving because your son is risen physically, bodily, victoriously, gloriously. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The provenance of the story that I'm about to tell, I'm unsure of, but I'll tell it to you the way I know it. Brian Moore was 17 years old. He was in Terry Valley High School. His English teacher gave a prose assignment to the class. The prose assignment was that everyone was to write on their understanding of heaven. Brian wrote about his understanding. He entitled it The Room. He submitted it, got it back, got a good grade, stuffed it in his locker, didn't think anything more of it. Three weeks later, Brian was driving down the road, lost control of the, ro- or lost control of the car, went off the road, hit a utility pole, and died. We can only imagine the horror of his parents, and some of you know what that pain is like. A few weeks later, it became their job, the parents' job, to go through Brian's stuff, including the locker at school. When they went through that locker, they found his essay entitled, The Room. This is what Brian had written. He said, after dying and before going to heaven... I found myself in a room, and in the room were stacks and stacks of files. They were three-by-five card files, thousands, millions of them. Within a few moments, I realized it was a catalog of my life. Everything in those files were true. Everything that I had done and said, thought, my attitudes, they were all recorded. Some of them were rather mundane. Books I had read. TV shows I had watched, places I had gone. Some of them were kind of fun. 
There was a file entitled, Girls That I Had Liked. I went through it and I laughed. And then there was a file that really made me laugh. Things I had yelled at my brothers. I enjoyed that. But then there were files that made me ashamed. Friends that I betrayed. There was a file entitled, Lustful Thoughts. I only pulled it out an inch. I didn't want to test how thick it was. I pulled out a card and I read it. My cheeks turned red. I was ashamed. Nobody must see this room. Nobody must see these cards. I tried to rip it up, but, but it was indestructible. The card could not be destroyed. Thankfully, right next to it was a file that said, people I had shared the gospel with. I pulled it out and, and two cards fell forth. Had I really wasted that much of my life? Had I really wasted that much time? All of these cards and only two about sharing the gospel. And then I saw him. Oh no. No. No, not him. Anyone but him. It was Jesus. Jesus was going through the cards. Jesus was writing his name across the cards in red, in crimson, in his blood. No, I thought, no, please, not that. And yet I knew it was necessary. I knew that that's why Jesus had come. I knew he came to save sinners like me. I had placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And here he was, writing his name across each and every one of my cards, his name covering my sin. I looked at the ground in shame, embarrassment. He walked over to me. He could have said so much, but he said nothing. He put his arms around me. He looked in my eyes, there was compassion, there was love, there was grace. Yes, sadness for my sin, but such compassion and love and grace. And he embraced me and he held me. He held me until I regained my composure. And then he went back and he began to work through all the three by five cards. I don't know how he got through all of them so quickly. But again, he came over to me. He said, to tell us die, it is finished. And that was the last of the essay. Well, you can imagine Brian's parents in the midst of their grief, reading that essay and having great joy in their heart in the midst of grief, knowing that their son understood the gospel that he had embraced Jesus Christ as Savior, that he believed and received Jesus, and the blood of Jesus covered him, that he understood 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body as a Christ follower is to be present with the Lord. Today I want to pick up in our text, I want to read to us some passages out of Mark chapter 15, and then a little later we'll have Mark 16. 
I'm going to start in Mark 15. I want to read verses 16 to 20, and then some other verses. And in the midst of it, I'm going to read one verse, John 19, 30. Mark 15, 16 to 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. They put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. Verses 24 and 5. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Verses 33 and 4. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John 19, 30. Then Jesus said, it is finished, to tell is die. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Back to Mark, verses 38 and 9. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, the centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. I want to take on the personhood of Longinus. Longinus is the name given to the centurion. And so for the next few minutes, I will be Longinus. My name is Longinus. I am a centurion in the Roman Imperial Army. Now when you hear the word centurion, undoubtedly you think that I oversee a hundred men. That's what the word century means, isn't it? But actually, in the Roman army, most centurions oversaw about 60 men. That would be what I would see. Frankly, I am a dead man walking. My past has been better than my future. Today will be my last day. There is little doubt that Rome will put me to death. You see, when a centurion fails at their role, when they fail at their position, Rome is merciless. It tortures, it murders, it annihilates. If a centurion loses his prisoner, the centurion is put to death. How much worse to lose somebody to resurrection? I received the call. The Tribune called for me to come. The Tribune and I have known each other for many years. Frankly, the Tribune and I were drinking buddies. I was a non-commissioned officer. He was of the equestrian class. 
but strong wine as a way of binding people together. But today would not be a social visit. Today I would stand before the tribune as a condemned man. Rumor had it that the tribune superior, the prefect, was breathing down his neck. In fact, I had heard it went all the way to the top. The imperial legate was terrified. He was angry. He was mad. They wanted the Jesus problem to go away. They wanted nothing more to do with this Jesus problem. And it was my job to take care of the body, to secure the tomb. It was my job. And I had lost the body to resurrection. I stood before the tribune. He glared at me through quenched teeth. He said, where is that body? Explain yourself. That's what happens when your boss's boss's boss is a little exercised over a resurrected Jew. I said, sir, can I speak freely? He glared at me and said, yes, make your words count. And so I began to tell him the tale. I said, sir, this man, this man is, well, sir, I don't know how to tell you. This man is more, he's more than a man. His teaching is unbelievable. Sometimes up to 20,000 came to hear his teaching and his miracles. Many proclaimed that, that he was the Messiah. His teaching is unbelievable. His miracles are unbelievable. He is no ordinary man. People say that he is God, the Son of God. He said that he came to save sinners. He defines sin, sir, as, as any action or thought, motive, inactivity, anything done outside the will of God, that he said is sin. And he said he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. <laughs> At this point, the tribune stopped me. <laughs> he was not a religious man. Are you giving me just the facts? I only want the facts. Sir, sir, I said. Bear with me, sir, I'll get to them. Sir, it's because of the miracles. It, it's because of the teaching that the religious leaders, those, those worthless Jewish high priests and their underlings, it's because of Jesus' miracles that they arrested him. You see, Jesus was getting popular. People were coming. They were flocking to him to see the miracles, to hear the teachings. So they brought him to Pilate. I was there, sir. I was at the lithostratos. I was at the stone pavement. I was there when Pilate sat in his seat and presided and brought judgment over people. I was there when he tried Jesus. When he heard the testimony of Jesus, he heard the testimony of others. Clearly, Jesus was innocent. But those high priests and their underlings, they riled up the crowds. 
I readied my men. We'll put them down, I thought. We'll do it the Roman way, with power, with authority, with shock and awe. But you know Pilate. Pilate appeased them. Pilate told my men to beat Jesus. We stripped his back bare. His back and the back of his legs, they were exposed. We tied his hands to leather thongs. We tied it to the whipping post in the ground. There was no escaping. Jews. (laughs) Jews limit their whippings, their beatings to, to 39 lashes. Kid stuff. We're Rome. We limit our beatings by nothing but our whim and our strength. Two of my men, one on the right, one on the left, they brought the cat of nine tails across his back, down his legs, leather embedded with shards of glass and pottery and metal. We left him as pulp. There wasn't much left of him when he was done. At that point, Pilate, he said he would release the man and, and those high priests and their underlings. They whipped up the crowds. Again, I readied my men. Let's put them down. Let's handle this the Roman way. But Pilate, what an embarrassment. He called for a basin of water. He washed his hands. He said, my hands are innocent of blood. Ha, laughable. There was blood everywhere. He was no more innocent than me. Sir, you know me. I love beating Jewish scum. But there's no honor in beating an innocent man, much less one that I believe to be God. Well, Pilate handed him over to the religious leaders. We gave him the patabolum. That's the cross beam. That's the horizontal beam. Sir, as you well know, the upright beams are always left in the ground. They're up in Golgotha. We had had a thousand crucifixions before. There'll be a thousand afterward. But those who are condemned, they carry the patabolum. 100 pounds through the streets, along the Via Della Rosa, along the way up to Golgotha. But Jesus, he was hemorrhaging. Great loss of blood, incredible excruciating pain. He couldn't make it. He fell repeatedly. Finally, I found a scuzzball, a serenian, and I, I conscripted him to carry the patabolum up. When we got to the top of the hill, we forced Jesus to the ground. We put the patabolum behind him. The sound of a hollow mullet rang out. And we nailed him. And two of my men, we grabbed either side and we dragged him, pulling at his gaping wounds and we attached it to the vertical beam. Then the sounds of the hollow mullet rang out again. 
Sir, sir, I've done this a thousand times. A thousand times, sir. But nobody has responded like Jesus. Nobody. He didn't spit at us. He didn't damn us into eternity. He didn't curse us. There was no hatred. I can't explain it. But the look, I I can't explain it. It was compassion. It was love. It was love poured out on us. I've never seen it before. And all the while, sir, all the while the, the sky was turning dark and black as though the judgment of God was being poured out. My own men, my own men as they had done a thousand times before, they gambled for his inner cloaks, probably made by his mother. And then there was his mother, And while this Jesus hung from the cross, he looked down. He said to one of his disciples, I I think his name might have been John. He said, behold your mother. Behold your son. Sir, I love my mother. Every Roman soldier, we love our mothers. But who thinks of their mother at a time like this? A time hanging from the cross. A time when he has to push up on the bottom piece because his lungs are filling up with blood just to get a gasp of of oxygen. He's thinking of another. And then he looked up to heaven and he said in a crystal clear voice, Father! Father, forgive them! They know not what they are doing. And sir, sir, as you well know, we crucified in triplicate. There were two other men. They deserved what they got. Oh, some call them robbers. Rubbish. They aren't robbers. They're Lestai. They're freedom fighters. They're guerrilla warfare. They're Jewish scum. They're the ones that would look for a Roman soldier isolated. They would slip out of the crowds, cut the man's throat, and then slip into the crowds and go up to the hills. We had caught two of them. It was a pleasure crucifying those Lestai. But one of them, one of them looked over at Jesus. And in his agony, he said, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, barely alive Jesus, he looked at him and he said, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. What kind of man thinks of another at a moment like this. What kind of man offers forgiveness to all of us? What kind of man is this? I'll tell you, Tribune. It's a man who is more than a man. And then he said it. 
Tetelestai, it is finished. Tribune, I know this word. Every centurion knows this word. This is the word we hear over and over again in the penal system. This is the word used when a man has served his debt, when he's paid his debt to society. The warden comes by. He takes a piece of parchment. He writes the telestai across it. He nails it above the cell. When the jailer comes, he sees the word to telestai and he sets the captive free. And that's tribune. That's what Jesus did. When he said it is finished, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about us. He was talking about sinners. He was talking about the captives. He set the captive free. And then he died. Excuse my Roman tribune, but all hell then broke loose. The earth began to shake. Tombs broke open. Rocks split in two. The veil in the temple tore in two. Tribune, as you know, our own historian Josephus, he tells us that the veil in the temple is 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick of tapestry. And it tore from top to bottom. Clearly the wrath, the wrath of God was being poured out on us. It was eerie. It was cold. It was dark. Somehow, sir, somehow we survived that earthquake. It then became my job to secure the body. Sir, I followed it to the letter of Roman law. I found the body. I put it in a fresh tomb. Just to be sure, I got a rolling stone, 3,000 pounds, and we placed it in front. We took wax and heated it up. I secured the signet ring of the governor himself. I sealed the tomb with a signet ring of Pilate, warning anyone that they would face the shock and awe of Rome if they touched the tomb. I posted three guards, eight hours at a time, these are not tenderfoots. These are Rome's finest. These are men that laugh in the face of danger. They have never frozen. They have never failed. Never, sir. But you can imagine their horror. You can imagine their shame Sunday morning when they came to me. They were trembling. My men, they were trembling. To a man, they, say, they said the same thing. They talked about an angel from heaven. They talked about the seal being broken, the stone being rolled back. And Jesus physically, bodily, gloriously, victoriously, permanently rising from the dead. These are not tenderfoots. And yet they were conquered. They were defeated by an angel. Sir, 
We know the penalty. We know the penalty for losing a prisoner, maybe even one to resurrection. But I tell you, sir, this man is more than a man. His teachings are unparalleled. The miracles are well known. The stone was rolled back. The seal was broken. An angel came forth. The sky turned black. There was darkness. The wrath of God was poured out. And yet Jesus then physically, bodily, victoriously, permanently rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. The tomb is empty. Jesus has conquered sin and death once and for all. And there's hope for all who believe in him. That is the glorious message of Easter. That's the glorious message of the resurrection. And we would all be wise today here 2,000 years later to ask the question, how is this still relevant for our lives? What does the resurrection mean for us? So we'll spend a few moments talking about that together this morning. Going to actually read the resurrection account from Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles as I read it aloud. It says this, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And they said to one another, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And can you blame them? At this moment, that would be so fearful. Here, your Lord and Savior, who you thought had just died, is no longer there because he's risen. He's conquered death. That's absolutely incredible. And we need to stop and think about how incredible those three words, he is risen, truly are. Because when we hear those words, he is risen, we hear a message of hope when we were all in a hopeless situation. That's what the Bible tells us. We all have a major problem in our lives. It's a sin problem. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that sin has made a separation between us and God. And though tries we made, there's nothing that we could ever do to atone for our sins, to make things right, to reconcile that relationship, to get back into a right relationship with God. But Jesus, 
Two of the most amazing words we can ever see together. But Jesus, who was fully God, willingly became fully man to be our Savior. He left the splendor of heaven and made his dwelling with sinful men. He lived a perfect and sinless life to be our substitute. He died on our behalf. And ultimately, he took the punishment for our sin, our failures, our disobedience, our rebellion against God. Jesus bore our cross and volunteered to take our place. And here's the glorious, hopeful message of the resurrection. If we, through God's power, repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ alone, put our faith in the finished work of Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection, we trust in the finished work of Christ alone, we can have forgiveness for our sins. Then our debt can be paid. Our sins can be forgiven. Our hearts can be permanently cleansed and we can be given eternal life. That's the meaning of the word that we've been talking about this morning. Tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. He paid the entire cost of our sin, the entire punishment, the entire price for our sin and disobedience. Not a little piece of it, not some of it, not 99.9% of it. Jesus paid it all, which means that there's nothing left for us to do. So when we think about what we contribute to salvation, we contribute nothing but the sin that made it necessary. So what, what are good works in our life? Well, good works are just a response. They're a right response. They're a good response. They're a worshipful response, but they're a response nonetheless to previously believing in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation. To tell us die, it is finished. And when we think about the resurrection, we're reminded that there is hope for all who put their trust in Christ, that there can be life after our earthly death. It's the message and the hope of the resurrection. Romans 10, 9 through 10 would put it this way. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. John 3.16, you could probably recite it along with me, but it puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First John 1 John 1.9 would add, if we confess, if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 would say, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It's a gift, a free gift from God, not of works so that no one may boast. All of these passages are rightly summarized by one word, to tell us die. It is finished. What was the cost that Jesus had to pay to finish that mission? It was immense. Jesus temporarily gave up the glory of heaven to come and take on frail human flesh. 
Though he retained his deity the entire time, the, the Lord of the universe humbled himself to become the servant of all. He was mocked. He was beaten, as we just heard about. He was crucified. And worst of all, Jesus, the sinless one, was covered with our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, God, made him Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That verse is talking about the most unfair exchange that ever happened in history. If we look at our lives and how, how well we lived up to God's expectation and God's rules and our morality, if we had a report card, we got straight F's. We failed. We flunked. And we deserved the right punishment for that. But then Jesus, God sent Jesus to come and he lived a perfect life. He lived the perfect life in our place that we never could. And on his report card, he got straight A pluses. He never missed a mark. And you know what Jesus did? He was willing to swap report cards with us. To where Jesus paid the penalty for our Fs, our failures. He paid it all. He paid it on the cross. And instead, we get to be declared righteous. We get to enjoy the reward for his righteousness and perfection. We can have our sins forgiven and we can have eternal life. To tell us die, it is finished. Jesus paid the price. Forgiveness is offered, but we have to respond to his offer. We have to respond through God's power, repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Christ. That word repent is talking about seeking to turn away from our sin and turn towards God to leave our sin behind and, and start a new life of following after God. And then by faith, we have to trust. That's what that word faith means. Trust in the finished work of Christ, his perfect life, his burial, his resurrection, and his death alone. We're not trusting in ourselves. It's not Jesus plus a little bit of my good works. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, Christ alone. To tell us die. It is finished. We need to ask Jesus to become our personal savior. He came to be the savior of the world, but we need to ask, is he my savior? Have I responded to his call? Have I trusted in Jesus alone for salvation? To tell us die. It is finished. Death is conquered. The grave is empty. And salvation is available to all who, by faith, believe and receive Jesus as their Savior. Let's make sure that each of us have done so today. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, Easter is such a mix of emotions for all of us. Because on one hand, we are so grateful and we are celebrating that Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death. Jesus came back to life. And there is glorious hope for all of us who put our faith in you. But on the other hand, we are saddened because we feel the gravity of, of our sin. We recognize it was our sin and our failures and our disobedience that put Jesus on that cross to begin with. But we're so grateful that you loved us. You loved us enough to send Jesus to take our place. And God, help us to know that freedom. Help us to know that peace that comes from giving our lives up to you, from turning from our sin, from letting that shame, that sin, that failure in our lives go and giving that over to Christ and trusting in him. Father, you are 
You are so good to us. We are so undeserving, and that is such a mystery. But thank you that you loved us. In spite of all of our failures, you sought us out, and we are so grateful for all that Christ has done for us. So help us now to, to rise, to ponder that, to respond with worship at the great name of Christ for all that he has done for us. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you the glory today, Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.